Well, here we are. It's our fifth week in the Guidance Core Seminar. Uh, Pastor Jeff Meadows, uh, Pastor Paul, and Gavin, and I have been sort of co-teaching uh, this seminar, this guidance class. And uh, our session today is on Scripture, Prayer, and Counsel, or, or in other words, the, the basis for our decision-making. And we're really getting into sort of the nitty-gritty principles of, um, of God guiding our lives. Now, I don't know if there's any handouts this morning. No, no handouts. Um, so you'll just have to pay attention. And uh, I'm going to pray and we're going to get going. So let's, let's turn to the Lord this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of comfort. We thank you that you are the God of all mercy. We thank you that you are the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to you through his name today, even by the power and strength of your Holy Spirit. And we're asking you to bless our time together, that you would teach us and instruct us, that you would guide us, that you'd even encourage us in our decision making. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Kind of a basic question, but how many of you have ever made a big decision? What was the basis of your decision? What were the tools that you used in coming to that decision? Well, this morning we're going to think practically about how we make decisions. And just as a reminder, this course is all about how Christians should ordinarily make decisions. As we look through the scriptures, God often guided his people through dreams. What else? Audible voices, the prophets, visions, and so forth. And if you have heard God's voice through a talking, a talking donkey or a burning bush, um, that would be very abnormal. These are not the normal means by which God directs and guides his people. These are not normative things, even though at times God has guided and directed his people through, through those means. Especially in the time that we're in, we know that God, he gives us guidance in the decisions we make through the scriptures. And we have the scriptures in their fullness. So for the next two weeks, we're going to be kind of taking an inventory of different tools that God has given us to make decisions. This week, we're going to think about the tool of the Bible, prayer, and counsel. Next week, Pastor Gavin will lead, continuing on, with the tools of decision-making, talking about circumstances, feelings, and wisdom. So we're going to look at, first, using God's Word in decision-making. And by way of start, we're going to actually consider how not to use God's Word in decision-making. How not to. This is a good place, a good place for us to begin. So... How not to use God's Word in decision-making. You start the day off, you scroll through the Bible, and you stop and put your finger randomly down at Amos 4.4 that says, Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Oh dear. Do we use God's Word in that way? No, we certainly do not. Opening randomly to God's Word 
and trying to apply a verse to our situation can be a very dangerous practice. It could lead to understanding God's word in a sort of mystical way. This is not how Jesus used the scriptures, and it's certainly not how we are to either. So firstly, we are not to use God's word in some sort of random way and try to directly apply it to our lives. Secondly, there's another, there's another wrong-headed way of using the Bible for guidance, and it's related to taking a verse out of context. Right? So just because a set of words comes from God's word does not mean that they are God's message to you for the day. Right? They are God's word only in as much as they are to be read in their context. Right? And they are only intended for us in the context and applied in the context that it was meant to be read and understood in. Greg Kukul from Stand to Reason Ministries once said, Never read a or a Bible verse. I'm going to say that again. Never read a Bible verse. In other words, always read Scripture with the benefit of the context that that Scripture is in. If you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I'd have somebody read that passage for us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Go ahead, don't be shy. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Someone could read that in a nice loud voice for us. Very good. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay? So many Christians have taken this verse to mean that they can achieve all their dreams and goals in life by the strength of Christ. But that's not what this verse is particularly talking about. When you look at the surrounding context of this verse, Paul is making it very clear that he's talking about learning contentment in Christ through both good and bad circumstances. So this is really key that we understand the scripture in its context. And we don't just take a scripture out of its context and try to apply it to our lives without taking that broader context. Every year I go to a Simeon Trust preaching workshop, and one of the principles that we learn in terms of how we handle God's word, is the caution that we don't go above the line of Scripture or go below the line of Scripture. Right? To go above the line of Scripture would say, well, if God spoke to, a, to his people using a donkey in this circumstance, well, certainly he can continue to do that today. That would be above the line of Scripture. But we can also go below the line of Scripture and not actually understand the Scripture and what, what, it, what it commands in clear ways. So context is key. So those are a couple wrong ways of using God's Word. But what are, what are some of the positive ways or the right ways 
to use God's word in decision-making? Well, the first is, is that we follow the very specific commands of Scripture. For instance, you shall not steal. Exodus 20, that's the eighth commandment. Or let the thief no longer steal. I believe that's from Ephesians 4.28. So if you come to a position in your life where you are convinced that God is calling you or you have a hunch or a feeling to rob a bank to pay off your student loans, the right way of using God's word would apply the Eighth Commandment or Ephesians 4.28, which says, let the thief no longer steal. So I can guarantee you with 100% certainty that your feelings are mistaken if you feel that God is calling you to do something unethical or that clearly goes against God's word. But consider another situation where, or a, a practice, this would be a second principle of using God's word in our decision, decision making, and that would be that God's word gives us biblical principles to be applied. Right? So some, some commands in Scripture don't necessarily give us the particular action that we must do. However, there can be really helpful truths that can be grasped or taken from particular texts. So let's say you're presented with a very challenging situation at work where one of your colleagues is going to be announcing at a workplace lunch, that he is getting engaged to his boyfriend. And you have to apply biblical principles to knowing how to deal with this situation. So it's not like you're being invited to the wedding, right? But what are some scripture principles that could be gleaned in this kind of circumstance? Well, consider Ephesians 5.5. 5. Could someone read for us Ephesians 5, verse 5? Actually, you could read 5.5 5, 5 all the way to 10. Biblical principle for this scenario. Very good. Does that verse offer some good context and biblical principle for a situation that I mapped out? Absolutely. So the Bible provides principles for decision making. Thirdly, the Bible often provides goals and motivations in our decision making. For instance, if you are dating someone, if you're a man dating a girl and you're considering marrying this girl, 
Um, would it be appropriate for you to read Proverbs 31 to discern what a godly wife is like? Yeah, absolutely. Or if you're a young gal considering marriage to a godly young man, be appropriate for you to read 1 Timothy 3. See what a godly husband looks like or should look like. Or perhaps you're considering a changing career. You might turn to passages like 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 to 10. Even just to check your own heart and to be reminded of the pursuit of riches instead of the pursuit of God. Or to know how to kind of question or evaluate your own motivation in taking on a new job. Sometimes in our decision-making, it can be helpful for, to write down our goals. What are your goals? So, for instance, you're considering a new job. Write down some goals. I've done that very many times. What are the pros and the cons of taking on this job? Right? What are my motivations in taking on this job? And then... Write down some of the goals that God has for you set out clearly in the Scripture. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Right? You can spend time thinking through your own goals, your own motivations, and, and reflect in light of the Scripture. And God will give you grace and He'll give you direction through, through that. The fourth way that we use the Bible in our decision-making relates to wisdom. And honestly, this is the main way that the Bible helps, helps in our decision-making. Wisdom. If you spend no time in the Bible until the time that you need to make a big decision, the Bible will have been very little use to you. But if you think of Psalm 1-1, think about this man, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the mock scoffer. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So God's word gives us wisdom. And the call to us in our decision making is that we need to get to know the scriptures. Even before we have to make a big decision. We need to think about the scriptures. Psalm 119, I believe Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have hid in my, in my heart that I may not sin against you. Another psalm says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We need to memorize the scriptures. We need to think about them. Contemplate them. And the scriptures will give us wisdom. The image that comes to mind for me is the way a cow chews its cud. I don't know if you've ever... Any sort of cloven foot critter usually has more than one stomach. Well, they chew, chew their cud. Cow has four stomachs, right? So they bring back that food, and then they chew on it. And when you look at them out in the field, they're half sleeping, and they're just chewing their cud, right? Processing that food. Well, we need to process, or if you come from the States, they prefer the word process. 
We need to process, or process, whatever you prefer, God's Word. We need to think about God's Word. And then we'll gain wisdom, so that when that big decision comes, you're going to be informed, not just by your own personal feelings, or your hunches, but God's Word. So God's Word is the key in our decision-making. The second principle, or, or tool, for decision-making is prayer. Prayer. And again, we're going to start with some wrong ways to use this tool. You ever see somebody use a tool for the wrong, the wrong tool for the wrong job? Right? You know, I remember on the farm, Dad have a crescent wrench in his hand, and he needs a hammer, but he's got the crescent wrench. So, you know, the crescent wrench is used. <laughs> right tool for the job. What are some wrong ways that we can pray? Well, we shouldn't ask God to bless something that he forbids. <laughs> Sounds basic. We should not ask God to bless something that he forbids. Like asking God to make a dating relationship with a non-believer successful. We should not ask for those sort of things. The second, asking for a sign. What do you call a black deer when you see a black deer on the road? What is it? It's a sign. (laughs) Have you ever asked for a sign? Lord, if you want me to take this job in Kathmandu, let the headline on Epoch Times be something related to Nepal. Because Ryan... Fullerton mentioned Nepal in his last sermon. You could even spiritualize some of these things. But we should not ask for a sign. Or throw out our fleece. Heads Carolina, tails California. Pop up that coin and let's see what it lands. You see, God has given us everything we need in his scriptures. And the scriptures are profitable, for, we're told. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. The scriptures, right? they're breathed out by God, and they're profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Is there any good work that you need some sort of miraculous sign in order to accomplish? No. God's given you everything you need in his scripture. But then you say, okay, well, what's the matter with asking for a sign? Old Gideon did. Right? Is Gideon in the Hall of Fame? Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11? Is he? Yeah, he is. Yeah. But he, I think even Gideon knew he was pushing the limits with God when asking for a sign back in Judges. Right? And though he exercised faith, we can hardly take the life of Gideon and say that everything about his life is exemplary for us today. So when we, when we pray, when we ask God to make a decision clear, 
It's not a mature thing that we ask for a sign to accompany that. In actual fact, it could be a sign of immaturity that we do that in our hard decisions. So that's how we should not pray. We should not pray that God would bless something that is forbidden in the scripture. We should not pray seeking for a sign. Then you say, well, well then how should I pray? If I'm not to pray this way in, regarded, in relation to decision making, how, sh- how ought I pray? How should I pray? Well, if you turn to Matthew chapter 6, we're not left in the dark in relation to how we should pray. Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So there are three takeaways from the structure of this prayer that we need to apply even as we pray. And the first is, when we pray, we need to reference God as Father. We reference God as Father. Do you, when you pray to God, do you address Him as Father? That's how Jesus instructed His disciples to pray. And when we, we remember God as Father, we remember that he is, he is our fortress. He is our strength. Right? He is our shield. Yes, He is our Father in heaven. If you look at chapter 6 of Matthew and verse 7, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Now listen here. If you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So, can we have that confidence that when we go to God as our Father, that He will give us everything that is good for us? So a biblically informed prayer must begin referencing God as Father. Secondly, a biblically informed prayer in relation to guidance is going to first ask that God's kingdom purposes come to pass over and above our own desires. Jesus instructs us to pray, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So we must live our lives coming under the recognition that it is first, we need to consider first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. God's ways 
God's purposes take precedence over our own. That's how we must pray. And when we recognize this, this puts us in a better position to deal with the difficult decisions that come our way. When we keep God's ultimate purposes in mind, we can actually consider our own decisions in light of the bigger picture. The last thing that we can learn from this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is that our prayers should recognize our daily dependence on God. Notice in verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. Can you remember a time in the Old Testament that this, this concept of daily bread alludes back to? In relation to the people of Israel, Exodus 16, what did God feed his people with? Manna, right? Were they to hoard up the manna? Why? What happened to it? It went rotten, right? They were to only gather what they needed for that day, right? Otherwise, the manna would rot. So there is a principle here that God... God wants us to come to him daily for what we need. Do you have needs? Well, of course we all do, don't we? We all have needs for food, clothing, transportation, a warm house, right? It doesn't matter how much you desire to be self-sufficient. You cannot live in this climate. You cannot live in this climate outside through the winter. Maybe last night you might have got by, but when it hits minus 30, right, people, they freeze. You ever watch Frozen? Yeah. God gives us what we need for the day. That might be a house. That might be a warm place at the DI, the drop-in center. But he, he, we can trust him every day for what we need. We need to come to him. And isn't it wonderful to know that when we're faced with a big decision, we can know that God will provide everything we need for today. For today. Remember, God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Sometimes we want God's word to be like a big spotlight that lights up a whole you know, um, big arena of some sort, right? Or stadium. But, but God's word is a lamp to our feet. Gives us, what we, we, gives us the guidance that we need for the day, right? Maybe not for next year, but he promises to care for all that we need today and every day. So tomorrow you can come to him knowing that your needs will be met. But we are to pray that way, that God would provide our needs, our daily bread. So it's a good idea, it's a good practice when you open your Bibles, even praying through the Lord's Prayer, that we'd, we would apply God's Word in our decision making. So if you're thinking about your work, it's a good thing to maybe turn to Colossians 3, related to work decisions. Whatever you do, do heartily, as unto the Lord, not unto men.
and to pray through God's Word. So, God's, God's Word, prayer, first two tools for our decision-making. What are they again? Two tools for, God's, for, for decision-making? God's Word and prayer. And the third is counsel, the counsel of others. Okay. And again, we're going to start with wrong ways to seek counsel. Wrong ways to seek counsel. Does anybody in here have children that ever watch Dude Perfect? <laughs> have you ever watched Dude Perfect? Okay. So Dude Perfect, these, these guys have made money out of putting these clips together. You know, and a lot of it's random silliness. But some of it, it can be quite... Uh, it can be quite funny what they, they do, especially when they do clips on stereotypes, right? You know, the stereotypical um, experience when you go to the workout gym, right? Different stereotypes that you see. Well, there can be different stereotypes when it comes to how people receive counsel from others, right? What, what might be the first stereotype is those who are selective counsel seekers, you ever met a selective counsel seeker? They only ask counsel from people that they know they're going to get what they, the, the counsel they want out of. <laughs> Have you ever, you ever had a counsel seeker like that? Maybe you're a selective counsel seeker. If you want advice from somebody, you go to the people that you know are going to give you the answer that you're looking for. <laughs> so there's the selective counsel seeker. Never get advice from someone that might disagree with you. <laughs> but Proverbs 24, 26 says that an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Right? So when we're to seek counsel, we're to find people who actually are more intent on giving you honest answers than just the answers that you would prefer. Right? If, if you only talk to people in your own stage of life, you might be missing out on godly counsel from others. If you're a, a, a woman seeking accountability for a dating relationship and you only talk to other single ladies, you're missing out on perspective from young married women or older, maybe an older single woman, right? So we have to, we have to be careful not to be a selective counsel seeker. The second stereotype, you might say, is the person that places too much faith in the counsel that they receive. Okay? So, let's just say, you know, for instance, this past weekend, had a great, great chance to speak with Ryan Fullerton. Known him since I was 15 years old. And I'm looking for some guidance. And he says something in passing that I take as gold and I say, well, he said it, so I better apply it. Because he's, he's, a, he's a good preacher. Respect him. Well, we have to be careful that we do not place too much faith in the counsel of others. Even as pastors, as a pastor in the church, we see this all the time, you know. People may be putting too much faith in the counsel of their leaders, for instance. 
the counsel that one of your pastors can offer in 30 seconds may not be as good as the counsel one of your Christian brothers or sisters can offer in 30 minutes or over the course of three weeks. Now please don't take away from this that I'm not encouraging you to come to your pastors for counsel, because you should, right? But don't put too much weight on, in it, right? If I went down to the Bethlehem con- uh, Conference for Pastors and John Piper gave a, a good message on missions and I took the counsel based on a 30-second window of time I spent with him that I need to go to Nepal to Kathmandu, I shouldn't base my decision solely on those 30 seconds with a high-profile preacher, right? So we have to be careful that we do not place too much faith in the counsel of others. So those are some wrong ways of using counsel. What are some good ways to seek counsel? Well, first, here's some counsel on seeking counsel. Okay, Who to talk to? Who should you talk to when you're looking for advice from others? Any ideas? Others? Other mothers? Other mothers, okay. Yeah? Absolutely. General principles. Think generally. People who have come out of like a battle of sin and come out well. Yeah? That's right. Wise? Absolutely. People that are godly and wise should probably talk to them. Yeah. Someone who knows scripture. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about somebody that has had a track record of making good decisions? (laughs) If you want decisions on buying a house and you talk to somebody that has gone bankrupt three times in the housing market industry, might not be the right person to talk to. (laughs) So, someone who's godly and wise, someone who knows the scriptures well, what else? Someone who points to Jesus. Someone, 100%. Someone who's going to point you to Jesus, not themselves. Have you ever met a counselor that has a Messiah complex? You know what a Messiah complex is? Is the counselor thinks that they're the Messiah and doesn't point you to the Savior. Right? That's very good. Someone who points you to Jesus. What about someone who knows you? Is that... Could that be of great benefit? Sometimes within the church, folks will be looking for counsel. And they'll, they'll do an end run around the church and the fellowship and the pastors, and they'll go to a professional counsel, counselor. Sometimes there may be wisdom in that. But that professional counselor may not know them at all. If someone doesn't know you well enough, how can you rely on the advice they give? And this is why it's important for us to even take into consideration 
the counsel and advice of your parents. Maybe your, your spouse. Obviously your spouse. What about longtime friends that have known you? What about your roommate? Your roommate, roommate knows you pretty well. Right? What about an unbelieving father or mother? Do you think you should consult their advice? Yes? Anybody? Yes? Depends. Depends what your question is. Yeah? Yeah. Fourthly, we need to consider that we, we seek counsel from someone even that knows our situation. Knows your situation. If someone's a young man, he wants to become a tradesman. Who, who do you think in the church would be a good one to talk to? Another tradesman. If someone wants to be a roofer, I'm going to grab them by, you know, grab them by the shoulder and take them to Josh Perman. He's got, got some godly wisdom, right? He's got some stability in his own life. I'm going to say, you know what? You want to be a roofer? You should talk to Josh Perman. He might even give you a job. <laughs> someone who understands your situation. If you need wisdom on knowing how to care for aging parents, you might talk to someone who also has aging parents. If you need wisdom on knowing, perhaps, how to, how to relate to family that lives on the other side of the pond. There's, there's people that, that have very similar circumstance. So we need to take into the, who to talk to is very important. We need to know our advisors. And in order to know your advisors or your counselors, you need to make yourself known. In order to know your advisors, you need to make yourself known. If you live in isolation, it's going to be very difficult for you to all of a sudden come to a place where you're making that big decision and no one knows you. Right? So get to know people. Make sure you're building relationships, especially in the church. Allow others to get to know you well. Who are some of those people that, that you know that you might consider consulting when you're making a big decision? You don't have to say it out loud. But think about it. And also know that your pastors here are wanting to be a part of your decision-making. So please always feel free to send an email. Right? Catch us at the end of church sometime. Right? Come talk to us. We're not too busy. Come talk to us. Right? We have a care list. Right? We regularly pray through the, through the congregational prayer list. Come talk to us so we can be informed on how we can pray for you. Don't live in isolation. The third thing to consider when seeking counsel from others is to be completely honest. Be honest. 
This is, this is where it comes back to get to know your counselors first. So you can be honest and transparent. Don't just get a, paint a one-sided picture of your circumstance. Share some of the variables. Share some of your own temptations and shortcomings. Share even some of the past sin that you've had, right? Or even just the way that your heart can be prone to wander in these directions. So lay, lay some of those things out. So we need to have people in our lives that we can be transparent with. The fourth consideration when talking to counselors, and again, a counselor is not necessarily a professional. It's one of the problems in the Christian circles, right? Is we want to delegate or outsource counsel to the professionals. Well, if you're a disciple, that means you follow the Savior, right? And the Savior is, right? He is the what? Wonderful, wonderful counselor? Wonderful counselor. We need to talk things out. How many of you are internal processors? You don't have to put your hand up, but just think about it. Are you an internal processor or processor? However you prefer. I'm not. I'm very much an external processor. I like to talk things out. My wife probably frustrates her sometimes. But I like to talk things out with her. Right? Different ideas, different possibilities. Talk, talk, like to talk them out. But if you're seeking counsel from somebody, make sure that they know that. Right? Have you ever gave counsel to someone and they did not say a thing for 15 minutes? And you leave and you're, you're thinking, well, was that any use? <laughs> but maybe they're just internal processors. Maybe in two or three days they're going to write an email that's four pages long telling you what they were thinking. <laughs> another, another good consideration is to get your counselors talking. Right? And this is the advantage of having elders and a plurality of elders in this church. Because when we're trying to work through naughty situations or difficult scenarios, there's this board of directors that are praying and bouncing different ideas off one another. So when you're seeking counsel, there are times when you need to seek a few different counselors, Right? It's like having a kind of a miniature board of directors in your life to help you in your big decisions. So I hope this helps. These are some tools for decision making. So as we review, the first tool is God's Word. We want to understand it in its context. We need to reflect on it, meditate on it. We need to apply it in various situations. Secondly, we need to pray daily, trusting the Lord for our needs. And thirdly, we need to consider the counsel of others that would help us as we consider various different choices that we will be called to make. So next week, we're going to be looking at understanding three more tools, circumstances, 
feelings, and biblical wisdom. And Pastor Gavin is going to lead us on in that. So, we've looked at these tools. Could someone tell me how not to use the Scripture in, in decision-making? What are, what, looking at one verse out of context. How should we look at God's word in our decision making? Very good. Yeah. On your lie, meditate day and night. We need to be regularly meditating, filling our mind with the scriptures. What are some considerations when seeking the counsel of others? in our decision-making. Be honest. Shop local. What's that? Shop local. Shop local. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Don't, be Don't be selective. Very good. Build relationships and make yourself known before you're in crisis. Yes. Build relationships and make yourself known before you're in the crisis. Yes. Anybody else? What about in relation to prayer? How do we apply prayer in our decision-making? Is there a model prayer for our decision-making? The Lord's Prayer. Yes. Very good. All right, well, let's close our time in prayer. Do just that, and we will be dismissed. If you have any questions, you can come talk to me after our session and, um, or email me. Email one of the other men, Pastor Gavin or Paul as well. Be happy to, uh, to answer as best we can. But let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come before you as your children in our need, recognizing that you have infinite resources available And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to humbly come before you, recognizing that it is our great desire that you would do something great for your name in our lives. Even in all our decisions, Lord, we pray that you would help us to have this mind that we would want to see your name lifted up. Help us, Lord, even to remember Christ and his kingdom. Help us, Lord, to have eternal perspective in our decision-making, knowing that even the decisions that we make that have great consequences for this life, we are to remember the decisions that will last a hundred years and even beyond. So help us, Lord, to have an eternal perspective. And Lord, help us to trust you for our needs. Thank you for the ways that you have given us one another, even in the decision-making process, that we can come to one another in our need and we can be reminded of your word, we can pray with one another, and we can even receive godly advice. So thank you for one another. And as we dismiss, we pray, Lord, that you would ready our hearts for your worship. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You're dismissed.